and I'm going to read this correctly. The message is brought to us by Steve Andrews. It's entitled, The Snake in the Garden. start out with a greeting. Greetings to everyone today on the Lord's Sabbath. Beautiful day. Wonderful opportunity to be here today. I uh, got the idea from a couple of kids that sit, sit back behind you there. Um, my yard is filled with all kinds of sticks and rocks. It's not a garden by any stretch of the imagination, but Eli and the twins, they, they like to run out and get garter snakes. He's over there worried, don't you? Yeah, they <laughs> got a thumbs up. So they're, they're out there uh, running around and finding garter snakes, and, and it's a kind of a fun thing to do, and, and bring them around and show them to everybody. Some people love snakes, others, uh, kind of like Eli, Others don't like them very well at all, and I, interestingly, I've run across some very poisonous ones in my, my lifetime. I remember I was walking down a path to find a fishing hole. I always, when I was younger, I was always trying to find a fishing hole somewhere. So I was walking down this path, and I had my fishing rod out in front of me. I had my head down, my fishing rod was out in front of me. I wasn't paying much attention. All of a sudden, I heard, and I looked up. And right in the middle of the path, <laughs> with his head up, and the rattles were going, was this rattlesnake. I mean, he was ready. <laughs> Thankfully, I backed away, turned around, and he didn't bother me a, a bit. So I was very happy to get away from that particular incident without getting bit. I have done a lot of fishing around a lot of lakes, and there are a lot of water moccasins in lakes. Uh, they know how to swim very, very well, and when they, some, for some reason, when they see you walk up to the water, they start <laughs> swimming towards you. And I have no idea what they have in, in their mind, but the, both of these, are they're all very poisonous. Now, I have never seen a copperhead. I've not seen any cottonmouth snakes except in zoos, so I haven't run across any of them yet, and thankfully, I, I hope I, I don't run across them. But, you know, there's one snake that has poisoned more people for a very long time and continues to poison more people. And that snake visited our first parents in a very beautiful place called the Garden of Eden. I like this interesting scenario that is written in Genesis, the third chapter, mainly because I've always thought about the situation that brought Eve into this and this snake that ended up in the garden. In Genesis, the third chapter, just a few, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning 
than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said unto you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the, its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the, God, the Lord God called to Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me to eat of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. What a scenario. What a First of all, this serpent, uh, it's called the serpent uh, in many, many different places, and we know it's Satan. Eve did not feel at all threatened. She's talking to it. It's talking back. And it deceives her into going and eating something, and she now has sin because she has uh, committed a sin against God by taking of something that was his. He stole it off of the, the tree and also coveted it, as you see, because she says, oh, it's, it looks nice. It looks good. It looks like it's something to eat. But she believed what the serpent was telling her, that she would not die. The serpent was beguiling her. One of the other things that the serpent was doing was after she ate, because God does ask, who told you that you were naked? This serpent then turns around to Eve and to, to Adam and says, you vile people running around without any clothes on. You're awful. You're terrible. And I can just feel and see him using this against them so that they were now ashamed they were the only ones in the garden, except for this, you know, this being. They were the only ones. Why would they be ashamed? Because he made them feel ashamed. That Satan's poison, the deception that he has in being able to deceive people, and it continues on and on and on. In the book of Job, we find that Job is a very prosperous man. He has many things, and 
it's very interesting that God allows Satan to do something to Job because Satan seems to have some powers that he is able to do things to others. But the thing that is interesting in this particular scenario, and this is what I want to point out, not so much the whole story because we, we all know that, but I want to point out this one thing. Beginning in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From whence do you come? So, answered, so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and from the earth and from walking back and forth on it. There was no acknowledgement of the grandness of God. There was no acknowledgement of the position that God held in that, in that place. There was nothing. There was a smugness of this being. As he came before the very creator that created him, now, would any of us do this? Would we not honor to be in the presence of God? But this serpent, this snake, who had rebelled against God, who had tried to take over the throne of God, was now in the presence of God and was um, uh, very, very, uh, uh, very bad, very... Um, <laughs> His character was aw is, is awful. And it's a little, it shows us a little bit about the kind of being that Satan is. So, then the Lord said to Satan, have, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job feel God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has, and every side, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So this also shows that he can be used by God sometimes for purposes, but <laughs> he was probably very happy to go out and do this evil thing that he was going to do to, to Job. Job lost all of his family, all of his possessions, and everything that he had. And he was sitting in the dust of the ground, and he was uh, scraping boils off of him. And his wife came out and said, why don't you curse God and die? And uh, he he did not want to do that, and he was very wise, and he still loved God, even in the midst of this situation that he was in. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, we're, always, we're very familiar with this battle that went on. This is a powerful battle with just words, and it's interesting, with just words. And, and uh, I wanted to go to, uh, first to, to Luke, because I wanted us to understand that this battle was not just the few days after, just at the end of this uh, 40 days that, that he was in the wilderness. This battle started the day that he walked into the wilderness. And in, John, in Luke, the, the uh, fourth chapter, and beginning in verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from 
Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. So for 40 days he was battling this being, this deceptible being. And, and, and <laughs> how did he do it? It, there is power in words. There's power in understanding how to defeat Satan. And it's easy, but it's not easy, is it? It's not always easy. Because sometimes we are deceived. Sometimes we are uh, caught up into the world, and we do do things that we shouldn't do. But Jesus understood, and he had the power to defeat this being. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led, into the, uh, up, uh, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the, by the devil. And we had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be, um, become bread. And he, he said unto him, um, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the, every word, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you look those up, all of these are come right out of the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes right out of the book of Deuteronomy. Then the devil took him to, up into a holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You see, Satan does have some power on the earth. And he is able to say things that are very deceptive. And he can deceive people. He can deceive whole nations. He can, he can deceive individuals. And we're going to talk about one of those individuals that helped deceive the whole world into something very, very perverse. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up into an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. <laughs> this is a quite an interesting scenario. That, did he really have that kind of power? Or was he deceiving Jesus? Well, Jesus was not deceived, and Jesus understood. And he said unto him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And so we see a powerful being with deceitful thinking and deceitful ability, and we know that he was thrown out of heaven because he tried to, to take over the throne of God. We know at one time he was called Lucifer because he was a very light bringer. He was a very powerful being in God's uh, kingdom. But we know today he's totally different. He has not died. He's not been put away. He's still out there, and he's still doing things. And then, 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, it says he's like a roaring lion looking for those that he might devour. He's out trying to devour anyone who is able to get his mind fixed on this being. 
in Ephesians, I'm going to go to Ephesians, the second chapter. I'll skip that first uh, Peter 5, 8, because that's just all it says there. But let's go to Ephesians, the, the second chapter. You might want to hold there, because I'm going to go back to it in a little bit at the end of this. And in, and in verse um, 2, it says, um, well, let's just read the first two verses. And he and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He is a broadcaster of, 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 um, <laughs> of sin, really is what he is. At one time, back in... in the 50s, there was a very perverse individual who Satan was, I think, I am sure, was able to um, capture his mind and change the course of history in the United States and pretty much in the course of history in the world. Uh, you wouldn't think so, but the, the individual was Alfred Charles Kinsey. He was born in 19... Um, 80, uh, 1894, and he died in 1956. But his work was to become the most perverted, most diabolical individual who had the backing of the Indiana University in what he did. In all of the things that he wrote, he was the one that did all of the perverse stuff. He was a pedophile. He was a homosexual. He raped women. All of these things so he could write two books, which changed the course of history. He became, and he's been called, the father of the sexual revolution. He is, um, and he, he, he's still revered to this day and reviled by people who know what he has written and what he has done and how he has changed the course of this country. One of the things that he he. Uh, did which was very 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 bad is the things that he was doing to various individuals and to young children and things he was putting this on our most wonderful and 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 um, uh, most dedicated uh, individuals that went to war and fought during World War II many died and yet when they came back, they found out that sexual revolution had begun. We know from, from all of our things that the beginning in around 1959 and 1960, things began to really change in the society that we live in. And, and it's just a historical perspective that we look at all the way down through history uh, from that time and how the, the morality of, of us of, of all of the of society has changed. In the book of Romans, and I didn't give this, but I think it's important to go through the book a little bit of this since I do have the time to do that. In the book of Romans, I think, and <laughs> many have gotten uh, in trouble with this, but this being has caused many 
to be poisoned in their minds, in their hearts, in their being. Obviously, he was a professor also. He was a professor of... Um, uh, he was a, a professor... He was a sexologist, biologist, entomology, and zoology. He taught all of those. And, and I'm pretty sure, uh, being in that particular area, he was probably a very died-in-the-heart evolutionist. So he did not believe in God. And all the things that he did were so perverse. And so we see in a society today, in Romans, the first chapter, we see this. We see what Satan has done, how he has perverted the minds of young people, especially coming through universities now. There, it is beginning to be a very difficult thing to, to think about sending a child to, to any of these, especially the left-wing universities. They are going to, to, to receive all kinds of information and things that are not biblical and are going to change their minds. In Romans, the first chapter says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who surpass, uh, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that's what he did. The truth we will read here in just a little bit. I'll go back and I want to read the truth to you all and anyone that's watching. What is the truth? Because what they may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them also up to uncleanness, to the lust of their hearts, to the dishonor of their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the nature, natural use um, for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their errors, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a debased mind. This individual had a debased mind. And he perverted what God created and wrote, wrote and changed the sexual morality of the world because he was a professor. He should know all this. He came from a university. All of this should be, you know, this is good stuff because he's a professor. He's, he's, he should be smart. We should go along with him. And yet what we find is he was a vile and perverted individual. 
And so he was very reprobate. He was a debased individual. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are um, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of the death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that's what we see in society today. There is something written that tells us what is right and what is good. And God gave it to Adam and Eve. And we have it written in the book of Genesis. And this is the way that we should look at marriage, our sexuality, our relationship with one another as husband and wife. Beginning in verse 26 of Genesis 1. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female were created separate. We'll see that here in a minute. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Well, Satan cannot multiply. And he hates us. He hates all of mankind. He hates everything about mankind. And he wants us to fail. Or we're not going to, are we? We are going to make it into the kingdom. And we are going to judge the angels. And we are going He's already judged. You know, Jesus has already judged him. So we don't have to worry about him. But, except in the fact that he's still in existence and still able to to deceive. So God created uh, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over everything that lives, in, uh, living thing that, that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that is seed which is, uh, is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you that it shall be for food. Also, every good um, beast of the earth and every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made and understood it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And of course, God rests on the seventh day. But he made man, male and female, and he gave us instructions in verse, in, beginning in the second chapter in verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what they would call them. And whatsoever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable, uh, uh, comparable to him. 
And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in this place, and then the rib which God had, had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man and said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, and this is the, this is the instruction, God married Adam and Eve. They were a loving pair. They were made for each other. They were mates. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. You see what he put on them? You see how he changed their thinking? You see how perverted Satan is? This was a beautiful thing that God had created. He loved it. He he said it was so good when he finished the creation. And Satan came in and changed it because he deceived. And he's still deceiving the whole world. Young people, when you get ready to find a mate, please pray to God for someone that is good to come into your life. Pray for them to, to, you know, to be a helpmate in your life. Pray for the right kind of person to to love and to, to have the right kind of things in your life so that you can, um, you can be happy. Because that's what God created. And it's important that you, you find that person that's right for you because God then will bless you in your, in your union. He will bless you in your union. Just one last scripture. I want you to understand how God loves us and can take us through all of these things. We were talking about the various things that are going on in the world and how very sometimes very disturbing it is and how difficult sometimes it is. And, but we can turn to the scriptures. We can have consolation in them. We can know that God is there and that he is looking after us and he loves us. He loves his creation. And one of these days, it will be here on this earth. I guarantee it will be here. In Ephesians, the second chapter, this is a beautiful, beautiful verses here. And he, and you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by grace you have been saved and raised up us together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's a, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. He's working in us, bringing us into that kingdom. 
helping us to understand the importance of what he is doing in our life. We, for, uh, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcised by what was called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That is, in the time that you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from uh, the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have once were far off and have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ.